As a woman, I often catch myself reflecting on whether things are any different for me today than they were in my mother's. And why not my grandmother's generation? Of course, a lot has changed. More women are in school, there's better access to healthcare for women, and I can own a bank account and travel the world without permission. Which, believe it or not, was unheard of in my mother's days. And things will even be better for my daughters. But the truth is, Women continue to fare worse than men today, just as they did many years ago. Yeah, whatever progress we have made as a society, we have not done much in closing the gender inequality gap in Ghana. And indeed, almost everywhere else in the world, women still own and control very few resources, struggle to claim their rights, are mostly underpaid for their work. When disaster strikes, Maybe it's a flood that sweeps through the village or droughts that wipe out the year's harvest. Women are often the first to suffer, the least capable of recovering and the most likely to emerge worse off. That's what we want to talk about in this episode. The changing climate that Ghana has been experiencing in recent decades is disproportionately affecting women and widening the gender gap. We explore how and why this is happening and if anything is being done about it. I am Doreen Ampofo. And I am Diana Kufu. This is Climate Change and Us, Ground Zero Ghana. Welcome to Episode 2, Climate Change and Gender. We begin in the streets of Accra, where I have been looking for some visible impacts of climate change on women. As night falls, the rush is on at Accra's largest flea market. It's here that most city dwellers get groceries. The fruits, vegetables, and cereals all come from the countryside. Most of the sellers are women, and so are the suppliers and shoppers. If anything goes wrong with the supply chain, they feel it first, they feel it most. My name is Na. I sell cassava and condo at Makola Market. Over the past few years, the prices of these products have been increasing. This is due to the changes in rainfall patterns. Things have gotten expensive in this business. I am stuck in between leaving this to start something else. But this is what I have done for years to take care of my kids. Increasing prices here is the result of failed crop production in rural communities. For most women, whether in this market or faraway farms, climate change has a direct effect on the means of subsistence and their ability to access food and basic services. To survive, some are forced to leave behind their families and fend for themselves in the streets of Accra. I met with a woman that goes by name Afi. Afi is a farmer from the semi-arid northern part of Ghana, but she's since relocated to Accra, where she does small jobs, like helping shoppers with their groceries, to supplement low farm productivity back home. In the north, the crops that we farm are seasonal. 
And because we farm now and the yield is not much anymore, I come to Accra to work as a head porter. When it is time to harvest the crops, I go back to help my husband harvest. So as a head porter, Afi carries produce around in the market for customers. Her seasonal stay in Accra has been getting longer than each year. Because these days droughts last longer than usual, there is hardly anything to go back to on her family farm. She is not alone. Hundreds of women displaced by climate change now live in the streets of Accra. As we will hear in other episodes, they lead a hard life. Many are exploited. Some face sexual assault, including rape. I wanted to know why women are the front line of climate change. So I traveled across the city to meet a gender activist, Rosemensa Kutin. Kutin currently serves as the regional director of the non-profit Abantu for Development. We all know that in Africa and also in Ghana specifically, supplies of energy and water are critical for rural households. And women's household responsibilities means that we are the ones who have to spend hours gathering firewood, fetching water, treating water for drinking, cooking, and for animal rearing and grazing. Now, in the midst of COVID-19, you can imagine the challenges women have to face regarding meeting these household responsibilities. So it means that if climate change is increasing, then the burden for women is going to increase. What Kutin is explaining is something experts have long observed. Women's livelihoods are tied to activities such as agriculture that depend directly on climatic variables such as rainfall and sunshine. Anytime there's a disruption in these variables, women are among the first to suffer. Usually, the impacts are many and diverse. And it limits women's opportunities for better livelihoods. Other impacts include the extreme weather conditions, which include direct health implications such as pneumonia, skin diseases, and also the cost of treating some of these diseases and also the limited income women already have. When there is a burden on the household and there are challenges regarding being able to meet the needs of different household members, the burden falls on women. Women are also often not equipped to deal with these challenges. They have fewer resources and they have little influence over decisions that affect them. As a result, they are less able to cope with or recover from the impacts of climate change than men. Climate change is not only worsening existing vulnerabilities for women, it is profoundly changing the role of women in society, usually for the worse. I think there is uh, stress on families, stress on households, stress on relationships between women and men because it is not easy also for the men to have easy access to resources to income so women are having to play a much more specific role in making sure that the household has enough income to survive 
So in the past where there was that strict demarcation of responsibilities, it's no more there. Women are having to take on additional livelihood uh, activities in order to earn income and support the household, uh, making sure that children are able to go to school. More than 50% of the Ghanaian population are women. As we've already heard, most live in rural areas and are responsible for producing food, keeping livestock and supplying the household with drinking water and firewood. All activities that are susceptible to the impacts of climate change. But what can be done to remedy the situation? Here's the continuation of Diane's reporting and conversation with gender activist Mensa Kutin. One of the things that needs to be done is for us women i think change only occurs when we speak out so we the women should take an active interest in the discourse on climate change because once we understand we'll be able to organize ourselves to participate more effectively more effectively and to get our voices heard and to share our experiences and to get solutions to our concerns and our, the challenges that we face. And women must lead the process. We operate from the lowest level to the highest level. The sensitization, making women realize that what they know counts, enhancing their ability to deal with the challenges they face as a result of climate change, and then bringing the knowledge we learn from women on the ground into spaces at the national level, at the Africa regional level, and at the international level. But for change to come, the structural and cultural barriers that limit women's voices must be lifted. This is a responsibility not only for women, but for society. Absolutely. Um, the, the reason being that we don't have much women occupying the roles when it comes to decision making. And normally some of this impact, you know, we must make policies, we must take decisions. Chibezi Ezekiel is a climate justice advocate. He works for the Strategic Youth Network for Development. His work includes campaigning to alleviate the forces that make marginalized groups more vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. We must make policies, we must take decisions and all that. So if the women are not represented adequately at the table, obviously uh, it's the men who end up making the decisions. And when men are making decisions, they want to make decisions that appeal to them more than to women. And education? Um, so it doesn't matter how well people get educated. Uh, women can go to school to the highest level, women can go to school to the highest level, but still, because of that culture practice, uh, women tend to be, uh, you know, marginalized uh, in the process. So when it comes to the decision-making process, they are marginalized. When it comes to the distribution of resources, they are marginalized because they don't have enough power as much as the men do. How then can one guarantee that these structural barriers are eliminated? It means that we must make more uh, spaces for women um, to participate in the decision-making process. Um, there's a saying that we sometimes talk about poverty eradication and yet the poor man is not in a room you know so we always talk about how do we deliver them from poverty but they are not part of the conversation so we can't think for them um, so i think that one way to guarantee is to get the women involved um, even if they lack the knowledge they lack the expertise let's consciously build a capacity so we can bring them aboard to to also involve and you know, participate in the decision making process so i think once that is done and they are part of the space or the decision-making space, then we can guarantee that indeed they will not be marginalized uh, going forward.
We've investigated how climate change forces people to migrate and how it threatens Ghana's cocoa sector. One thing that stands out is that wherever one looks, women are the most affected. But as we've heard in this episode, some things can be done to reverse the situation. Some NGOs are helping women already crushed by climate change and sparing hope. Back to Diane. I am driving across town again, this time to meet the people behind an initiative that has been helping young women displaced by climate change. I want to find out what they have been doing and whether it's paying off. The initiative is called Lozile. It helps displaced and vulnerable young women, especially those working as potters in Accra's main markets to go to school or earn a skill. The organization's managing director, Tenny Agana, has a personal stake in the work she does. Personally, my grandmother came to Kumasi to work as a Kai. My mother came to work as a Kai. I came to work as a Kai. So if there is no plan or if there is no if you don't have a better plan for your future, then the cycle continues. Kayayo is the local name for young women who work in Ghana city markets as potters sort of human grocery carts. They carry produce for shoppers in the market. The first Kayo came here in search of a better life, driven by poverty in rural areas. More recent comers have been driven by climate change. What we do, the goal is that we want them to have a better future. We don't want them to stay in Accra or come and sleep on the street. I mean, we have uh, people who were Kayais, they got pregnant, they've given birth, now their child is like eight years, and the child too is a Kayai now, so the cycle continues. How does the initiative help them? We take them through the behavioral change model because, I mean, we are all from the north, you know the situation in the north, so you can't come to the market and tell me that, oh, um, Amina, you, you need to go back home, there is a lot of opportunity. No, you need to take the, change the person's mindset. That when we are coming here, we have a mindset. Can you please share one of the success stories of any of the women? So for example, we had a group of girls, they were five, they were from Zara community. They went to secondary school, but because there was, their results wasn't good, so we wanted to work, get money and write an deck. That was their plan. So they know how to bake bread, chips and all that. So they said, okay, in my community, we don't have someone who bakes bread there. Usually, every market day, which is every three days, a big bus will come and supply the shops in the local uh, villages. Okay. So what do we do? We want to start a business. We want to start a baking uh, business. And there were five. Right now, these girls have uh, employed 15 other girls. Wow. And they are supplying over 20 shops. Wow. In five communities. Wow. Right. So we take them through the behavior just to change their, uh, their entrepreneurship, just for them to identify some of the opportunities that they can tap in in their communities. Structural changes that empower men and reduce their vulnerability are needed, and that takes political will. And let's not forget, it also takes powerful women and girls too. Coming up on our next episode of Climate Change and Us, Ground Zero Ghana, we'll look into how climate change is wreaking havoc on Ghana's cocoa harvest.
and our economy. And Dian, it all starts with a little insect that can no longer pollinate the cocoa flower. Interesting stuff. And so important. Climate Change and Us, Ghana Ground Zero, is put together by young Ghanaian broadcasters and community advocates. Diane Kufu, Philip Latte, Evelyn Ado, Yvonne Atilego, Doreen Ampofo. The podcast is produced by Eugene Fongwa.